Greetings, adventurer. Welcome to the D20 Academy podcast. I'm your host, Shalo Kaneshiro, and this is episode 28, Monster Monday, Beholders. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another installment of Monster Monday. This is one of my favorite um, parts of every month, one of my favorite episodes to make. Um, it's it's the one I do on the first Monday of every month to highlight and feature a really cool monster from D&D. Um, I'm going to start with a brief history of the monster and past game revisions, what's inspired its conception, go into its appearance, its abilities, the history and the culture of the monster, how to incorporate it uh, into your games and how to use it as a DM. Um, and today is actually um, about maybe possibly my favorite D&D monster of all time. Now, before we get right into that, probably the first thing you're thinking, if you are a consistent listener, is why the heck is Monster Monday being uploaded on a Tuesday. Um, well, I had planned for it to be uploaded yesterday. I'd written the script and everything. Um, I was just very uh, not not feeling too well. There's been technical issues in the you know in the past few days, just with the card and everything it has to do with the recording equipment, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was not able to get the episode out yesterday, but I um, am able to get it out today, uh, a day later. Um, so that is why, even though it's called Monster Monday, it's being uploaded on a Tuesday. Um, and also. I just want to remind you guys that D20 Academy as a brand is expanding. There's tons of stuff going on there. I'm working on tons of really cool projects and such uh, with D20 Academy. Um, and if you want to go keep up with that, if you want to go support it, see what's going on there, you can go ahead and follow. Uh, you can go ahead and follow D20 Academy um, at D20 underscore Academy um, on Instagram. Um, so you can keep up with all the updates, all that kind of stuff right there. But without further ado, let's get right into this Monster Monday. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about um, is the, the kind of the brief history of Beholders, its revisions over time, um, kind of the the place it, it holds in in D&D and, and in fantasy role-playing history and such like that. Now, Beholders are actually creatures originally from Dungeons & Dragons. Um, they don't have any obvious connections to like mythological creatures or fantasy staples. Um, they're not like pulled like centaurs or medusas from Greek mythology. Um, they're not, you know, orcs or elves kind of pulled from Tolkien um, fantasy. Uh, nothing like that. Beholders are original creatures created um, for Dungeons and Dragons, have stayed in the Dungeons and Dragons realm. Um, and I think that's one reason why they are. Um, so iconic and so famous within the game. They're one of the most um, famous creatures in all of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, the Beholder is the thing that appears on the front of the Monster Manual for 5th edition. Um, it's been rendered tons of times all throughout past editions, uh, which I'll get into here in a second. Um, but it is a monster that does not come from anything else. Uh, any other works of literature or film or anything like that is originally from D&D. Now, they, it, it first appeared uh, in the 1975 supplement for first edition Dungeons & Dragons called Greyhawk, um, which was a book with information, lore, and stat blocks corresponding to the Greyhawk campaign setting. Um, if you don't know, D&D uh, has a couple official campaign settings, worlds in which you can play the, the game. Uh, the most prominent, uh, especially for fifth edition, being the Forgotten Realms, um, but there's also other ones like Eberron, um, Ravenloft, um, and and Greyhawk, uh, and and Greyhawk was one of the first campaign settings ever created, and within it uh, came the Beholder, um, this this glorious creature um, that I'm about to talk about. Now, Beholders have appeared in every edition of D and D, um, and they've become a staple monster in the game, um, with you know the fame and popularity of Beholders rivaling that of dragons, owl bears, and mind flayers. If you've heard of any of those three and you recognize them, there's a good chance you've also heard of Beholders. Now, the most famous Beholder in all of Dungeons and Dragons lore is the Xanathar, um, which is a criminal overlord. He dwells beneath the city of Waterdeep. Um, Waterdeep is a famous city in the Forgotten Realms world. Waterdeep appears in lots of books and novels and such that, that you know, take place in that world. Um, but that's the most famous Beholder is... is the Xanathar, which is very hard to say um, quickly. The the Xan yeah, it's a little hard to say quickly. Um, but it's actually a a position 
um, it's not actually the name of a character, but instead a position, which is the leader of the Xanathar Guild, um, kind of an underground criminal guild within Waterdeep, and different beholders have um, held this title over time. Um, anyway, if you, you know, kind of know anything about beholders, or you kind of look them up, uh, there's a good chance you'll come across uh, the Xanathar um, in, in the lore and in the information, you, you know, you're learning about beholders. Um, one of the 5th edition supplement books, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, um, you know, is a book that provides more options when it comes to subclasses and, uh, and items and, and skills and um, spells and, su and such. Um, but it uh, kind of takes some of, some of the theme and li there's little, like, little segments throughout the writing um, of little footnotes and such written by the, the Xanathar, the fictional character. Um, it features the, the Xanathar, the Beholder kind of in the front of the cover, um, which is cool. Um, but anywho, that's kind of the Beholder. It's been around in Dungeons & Dragons since the beginning. Um, first appeared in the Greyhawk setting, but has appeared in every single edition of the game since then. Um, very famous, has grown in popularity, has grown in fame. Um, but that's kind of the Beholder, uh, just a kind of a quick rundown of, of its history. Um, but now talking about its appearance, if you're not aware yet of really what a Beholder is, what the heck I'm talking about. Um, beholders are large kind of spheres. Um, th that's kind of what their body is, just a big floating sphere, and they have one massive eye in the center of their, their body and a mouth underneath that. Um, this is big, you know, large mouth with a tongue and sharp teeth. Um, and then they also have ten tentacle-like stalks um, all around the body that each of these stalks end with another eye. Um, typically, these eyes are different colors. And uh, these eyes can shoot different kinds of rays, um, you know, whether it's to disintegrate something or paralyze something or charm something or put something to sleep, whatever each ray does. Each of these, ray, uh, each of these eye stalks shoots a different ray. Um, and that's kind of what it looks like. Um, the details of a beholder have, you know, their, their forms can kind of vary. Some have kind of chitinous armor, others have smooth skin, others have slick bumpy skin. Um, some have more like thin, bendable eye stalks. Some have armored, segmented eye stalks. Some have dark brown skin. Some have like sickly green, mottled skin. Um, so th those different kind of variations can can vary depending on the beholder, but the the general look is the same. These big floating spheres with a big eye and a big mouth and little eye tentacles all around it. Um, their appearance would actually be kind of comical and cartoonish if they weren't so. Uh, terrifying, um, because they are. They're they're quite creepy, um, and they get even scarier once you start facing them in battle. They are very strong, very devious. I love Beholders a lot, uh, so let's just keep going. Um, next, I want to get into their lore, the, the culture um, of, of Beholders, kind of what they're all about. Now, Beholders are weird alien creatures. Um, their, their thoughts and mere presence can actually like warp reality. Um, now, where they originally come from is unknown, um, but it probably has something to do with the Outer Plains because of, you know, their strange alien nature. They probably didn't uh, descend from anything in the natural or material plane. Um, same with things like Mind Flayers, um, Jibbring Mouthers, other kind of aberrations. D&D um, has a couple weird alien-like creatures, um, and the Beholder is one of them, and for most of these creatures, the background and the lore has them developing and descending from some place in the outer planes, some weird alien futuristic, uh, you know, force. And I assume beholders are something similar, just because they're so otherworldly, so supernatural and and, and alien um, that they probably didn't originate from the material plane. But either way, they're on the material plane now, and that's all that matters. Now, beholders are extremely xenophobic. They think of every other creature, um, including other beholders, as lesser than them. Um, now, in the same vein, they are terrified of all other creatures and believe everything is jealous of them and wants to kill them. Um, this belief system and, and these, this, this thought process is, is key to beholders and, and, you know, their weaknesses and their strengths and, um, you know, their characters and how they act. This um, intense fear of kind of everything around them, the world around them. Um, they think that they are the best, 
that nothing even touches them. They're superior to everything else. Um, but in that same thought process is because I'm the best and because I'm the most magnificent creature on, on the planet, um, everything, even nature and plants and everything wants to destroy me and kill me because everything's jealous of me. So therefore, I have to protect myself at all costs and destroy anything that wants to kill me. And that's kind of the leading force behind the thought process of a beholder. Now, because of this fear, beholders develop elaborate layers in which to protect themselves and deal with intruders and those hunting for them. Uh, they can use their powers of disintegration and telepathy to carve out caves and tunnels and set up traps. Um, they can use their charm powers to build armies of minions to use as guardians, or even to send these minions out into the rest of the world and accomplish tasks to further the Beholder's desires. Whether it's gather more minions for the Beholder, or deal with threats um, that might come for the Beholder, or whatever it is, set up more traps um, and more dangers within the lair so it's even harder to kill the Beholder. Um, whatever it is, the Beholder is prepared for everything. They are brilliant, and they're master schemers and plotters. Um, they have a backup plan for each backup plan. Now, they have made their layers in such a way that it is extremely hard to reach them, and then even harder to kill them. Um, reaching and dealing with a Beholder is a very difficult task for only the most experienced adventurers, but thankfully, it's not a common one. See, Beholders are rare. They are very, very rare. Um, and that's because of the way they reproduce, which is actually basically psychologically instead of biologically. Um, when beholders dream of other beholders, sometimes it means when they awaken, they see that that beholder has been brought into existence just by them dreaming. This goes back to what I said earlier about them being able to warp reality and time just by their thoughts and their, their emotions and even just being just even existing they can they can bend time and reality and this is one of those examples when a beholder dreams of, a, of another beholder one they, they haven't actually like they met before um and they may awaken and reality has twisted and, and this other beholders actually come into existence this is how beholders reproduce now this kind of dream isn't super common within beholders and even if they do have this dream it's not always true that something will come of this dream um but, either way, sometimes this happens and another Beholder comes into existence from these dreams. Now, thankfully for the rest of the world, most of the time, the Beholder's natural instincts will kick in. This is another creature. It probably hates me because I'm better than it, and I should probably kill it. And the two Beholders fight to the death. Um, the winner probably taking over the lair or going to build a new lair. Um, sometimes, rarely, the Beholders will be able to make some peace and just split off. Um, the, the newborn beholder will, will go somewhere else, build their own lair somewhere else. But this happens really just because of the nature of beholders and hating everything else and wanting to kill everyone else because they're afraid everyone's out to, to destroy them. Now, this theme of them dreaming uh, of things becoming a reality and such uh, comes in to effect uh, later on, um, and I'll talk even more about that later, but... I want to stress the fact that Beholders are very smart creatures. They're very smart, they're very cunning, um, and they do anything to fuel this survival instinct and this need to protect themselves. What this means is, is that encountering a Beholder is very hard and a very arduous task. Now, Beholders in 5th edition um, are pretty powerful on their own when it comes to like their challenge rating, their abilities, their powers. They can't be faced um, even just in regular combat until the adventurers are, are much more higher level. Um, from like 5th to 10th level in that kind of area is when adventurers can actually face a beholder in combat um, and actually have a chance of destroying it. But um, it should make it even harder to destroy beholders and should, should um, require an even higher level party um, because beholders have a backup plan for everything. Um, once again, they're master schemers and plotters. They have a backup plan for every backup plan. They've spent years creating a layer that is meant to protect them and destroy outsiders and intruders. And if the adventuring party or, or anyone is trying to come into this layer and kill the beholder, it will be a very, very difficult task. There will be tons of charmed minions who will go after them and protect them. There will be tons of deadly traps and areas 
where they have to, um, you know, dis disable traps or dodge boulders or, um, you know, make sure not to get hit by flaming meteors, whatever it is. Um, there are lots of things that the Beholder has set up exclusively to get rid of intruders and to, to you know, kill people who are coming after the Beholder, anyone who enters the lair. So this... Um, you know, this process of going through the lair to even get to the Beholder should be harrowing and should be difficult. Because the Beholder has spent all their time and all their resources making sure that they survive as long as possible and get rid of anyone uh, coming in to destroy them. Now, even getting past this and getting to the Beholder should be difficult, but facing the Beholder themselves should also be a hard task. Now, that's not saying you should upgrade the, the their abilities or anything like that, but the arena in which they fight, the things that happen during that battle, that final confrontation with the Beholder, should also be very deadly and very dangerous for the players. Once again, the Beholder will make the safest place um, and the most dangerous place for outsiders the place where it dwells and the place where adventurers will encounter them. So the most deadly traps and the, the, the strongest monsters will be at the Beholder's side. In addition, the Beholder will have created a room, um, you know, if, if this is the room that they, 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 they stay in mostly and is the room that the players will, the adventurers will confront them in, this room will be crafted specifically for the Beholder to stay alive. Now, Beholders have the ability to levitate and hover. So, because they never have to touch the ground, they may make the entire ground lava. They may make the entire ground pressure plates that shoot arrows out of, out of the wall at adventures. Um, because they can fly, they might make the roof 50 feet high so they can just chill up at the very top of the, of the room and just shoot all their lasers down, all their different rays, down into the adventuring party without being able to get hit by any melee attackers. They may have platforms, traps, levers, things that they can use their power specifically for, things that they can, um, you know, that, 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 that they understand, that they've placed there for a purpose, and things that they can, uh, you know, enable, disable, whatever it is, to further destroy the party and keep themselves alive. They'll probably have escape routes. They'll probably have lockdown mechanisms. Um, all these different kind of things makes Beholders very dangerous and very powerful. It's not just beyond them as creatures, their capabilities, being able to shoot rays, or being able to cancel magic or whatever. I'll get into their abilities and features a little bit later in the episode. But the... the, the um, epitome of what a beholder is and how everything is, um, you know, comes from this fear of people trying to kill them and, and this need to, to protect themselves makes the beholder a very deadly and dangerous monster, which is one of the reasons I really like them. Um, they are set up to be, um, you know, terrifying and powerful antagonists and villains that are going to take the party a lot of effort and a lot of planning and a lot of strategy to take down. Um, not just creatures that will just appear and hit them with a couple big attacks and maybe have some high armor class and high HP, but will be able to be defeated by the party um, fairly easily or quickly or efficiently, whatever it is. Beholders um, are very smart and cutting. They will never put themselves in a position where they are at a disadvantage. They will, you know, always just push on their strength try to fix up whatever about them is weak, try to cover up their weaknesses, all that kind of stuff, makes Beholders uh, very deadly uh, and really awesome um, villains and, and enemies for the adventuring party, and also makes them very interesting and intriguing allies for the party. Um, now, the Beholder is lawful evil, as written in the 5th edition material, um, because, once again, um, they are evil. They, they do want to kill everything else, and they only care for themselves, um, and they don't care what happens to the rest of the world. Um, but saying that, they're also lawful. They're not agents of chaos. They don't just go around destroying everything. They're intelligent. They, they, they have, you know, they understand order. They understand um, strategy, and they're, you know, beholders also can hold a place in your campaign or in an adventure where they don't actually act as, like, the main villain or something, but instead as kind of a third-party character, um, one that may be able to aid the allies or uh, aid the party or maybe aid the enemy, uh, maybe make some deals with people, um, whatever it is, 
Um, and actually, there is a name for these kinds of beholders. Those are eye tyrants. An eye tyrant is a beholder that kind of begins to suppress their xenophobia and paranoia, and instead they go and live in more of a, 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 a city area, a, a more um, urban area, where they can build up a, an organization or an army or something like that, um, that they're okay with interacting with other humanoids um, because they, it can further their gains, whether it's political or whatever it is, to gain more power. Um, now, these boulders aren't like floating through the streets of a city. Um, no, they're still terrified that anything will come out and kill them. Um, so they'll, you know, still dig underground layers beneath these cities and run criminal organizations, whatever it is. But these kind of beholders um, are also interesting because they can be used as third-party NPCs that maybe the, um, you know, the, the party can come to and make a deal with or bargain with or, you know, have a role-play encounter with that isn't necessarily just go after the beholder and kill it in its lair. Um, because they are intelligent creatures and, you know, they can be smart and, and try to make decisions um, that can maybe aid the allies if they aid the party if they can get something out of it or aid the enemy maybe the the actual antagonist of the campaign if they can get something out of it whatever it is it makes beholders versatile and interesting and really cool and i'll get even into more uses of beholders into your campaign a bit later but first i'm just going to break down its stats for fifth edition um its statistics its abilities its powers and stuff like that um just so you guys can get more of an idea of, of what a beholder is and what it can do. Now, beholders in 5th edition are large. Um, their creature type is aberration, um, which is the, the creature type of like weird alien stuff, such as mind flayers, which I've talked about before um, on uh, a Monster Monday, and gibbering mouthers and other just weird, weird alien creatures. And like I mentioned, their alignment is lawful evil. Um, their armor class and hit points are pretty basic for their challenge rating. Um, which is 13, excuse me, um, so not super high armor class or HP, or not super low armor class or HP, um, it's pretty balanced and basic for the level in which, um, you know, the, the, the kind of characters they will be fighting, um, now, they only have a hover speed, um, which is 20 feet, and actually, I don't like this, I don't think this actually really matches up with the lore of the Beholder, I think this should be a regular flying speed, not just a hover speed, um, and it should be much faster than 20 feet. I understand these creatures are kind of big and rely on other things than like their speed and physical abilities, um, but their strategies and such all depend on them being able to fly out of reach of people trying to kill them, hit them from afar, um, and being able to escape and such, and I think that um, lends itself more to a, first of all, not a hover speed, someone who can just fly. Um, you know, get out of the way of, of attacks and, and be at a safe distance to be able to shoot down into, um, you know, would-be uh, assassins. And also that they're just much quicker, being able to get to this this place of um, safety much quicker, be able to escape um, if, if, you know, they're being pressured. Whatever it is, I don't really agree with this fly 20 feet hover speed, but that's how it is in, in the 5th edition material, so... Um, now the only languages they know are deep speech and undercommon. That's another thing I really don't like. Um, I don't understand why they shouldn't be able to speak common. I think having an intelligent, um, their intelligence is 17 by the way, um, having an intelligent, cunning creature, um, who sometimes you know, becomes an eye tyrant, will suppress their xenophobia and paranoia to interact with other humanoids, build a criminal empire and all that kind of stuff. Why they wouldn't know common is kind of um, beyond me. I don't I don't know why they can't speak common in the book. I don't like any intelligent creature um, in the Monster Manual and in 5th edition material who can't speak common because I think villains who can communicate easily with the party and with the other characters is great. It makes them so much more interesting. It allows you to make more awesome roleplay encounters with them, all that kind of stuff. And making beholders only be able to speak deep speech and undercommon is a little strange to me. I don't really like that. Um, thankfully, the languages thing don't matter too much in the game. Um, if you want to have your beholder speak common, by all means, just have it speak common. Um, because it being limited by not being able to s communicate with the party really, I think, damp uh, you know, puts a damper on 
the the you know how awesome the the character can become being able to role play with the the party and such um they have pretty low physical attributes low strength low dex um their their con is actually their constitution is actually pretty high um they're pretty hardy um but they barely are touching anyone they don't like to be near anyone um so they don't really have to have high high strength or dexterity at all um their mental scores are all high intelligence wisdom charisma are all very high um because once again they are cunning uh smart creatures who who are always scheming and such um now their main ability is the anti-magic cone now as i mentioned before beholders have this one big central eye on their body they have these 10 other uh, 10 other eyes right connected to these eye stalks but they also have this this big main central eye on their body and this eye creates an anti-magic cone it's a 150 foot cone wherever this big eye is looking uh, it shines out this 150 foot cone and anything within the cone is considered to be in an anti-magic field um, anti-magic field is a spell in 5th edition. Basically, no magic can be cast into there, no magic can be sustained in there, any magical effects within the, the cone are suspended, um, or dispelled maybe even. Um, basically, nothing magical at all can happen wherever this beholder is looking. This is awesome. This is one of the coolest abilities that any monster in D&D has ever. Um, I really like the anti-magic cone. It can be used in such interesting ways. Um, it can also um, be used very strategically in battle. Um, once again, if you're going to be running a beholder in battle, you always want to be making sure it's making the smartest, most strategical decisions because that's on par with the character, that's on par with the monster. And using the anti-magic cone effectively is one of those abilities. Beholders are smart. They can recognize which people uh, of in the adventuring party which of their enemies are spellcasters, which ones use spells. Um, if not immediately from their appearance, then straight off the bat once they start casting spells in battle. And they'll be pointing this anti-magic cone towards these, these characters to make sure that they can't cast spells or anything like that. But beyond just being able to disable spellcasters, this anti-magic cone can do so much more. Maybe the Beholder is fighting alongside some of their minions, and one of their minions is paralyzed or petrified by a spell they can just turn their anti-magic cone towards their minion dispel this effect and their minion can get right back into the fight maybe the beholder um hides behind a massive permanent wall of fire but they might want to go through this wall of fire every now and again during the battle well they can just look at the place they want to pass through and the fire in that area will be dispelled and allow them to float right through it but once they leave it then the, that fire will come right back and can, once again, harm anyone who comes into it. Maybe they use a wall of force or a dome of force or whatever it is to protect themselves or certain areas of their lair. With the anti-magic cone, they can dispel little sections of those walls, little sections of those domes, and, and go right through. But, you know, no one else can really go right through unless they also have some sort of uh, anti-magic, you know, um, counterspell or dispel magic, uh, you know, kind of effects. This anti-magic cone is really awesome. It can be used to really devastating effect in battle. Um, it is just super interesting. There's so many different things you can do with it. So many creative things you can do with it. Definitely when it comes to certain kinds of traps uh, and things like that, right? Like if maybe there's a boulder placed above the doorway and the only thing holding the boulder from falling is a small little um, tensor's disc or, you know, some, some sort of magical platform. Well, when the adventurers enter through the doorway, the beholder just has to look at the platform because it's magical, it will disappear, and, they behold, and the, the, the boulder that was suspended will now fall onto the party, attempting to crush them. There's so many cool, interesting things you can do with this anti-magic cone. Um, and it's also, of course, just super strong, being able to look, uh, you know, being able to, to disable spellcasters and such. It really forces the party to think creatively, to think about their positioning, um, to be smart with, with their movement, and all that kind of stuff, which in turn makes combat much more fun and exciting. Um, this anti-magic cone is awesome. Now, I'm not sure, uh, I didn't actually do the research too much uh, on, on this aspect. I'm not sure if it disables magical weapons and items. I don't actually know if, if it has any um, if it has any effect on those. Um, but if it does, that just makes beholders even crazier. Okay, now we get into the rest of the beholder stat block. Um, it does have a bite attack, but its bite attack is awful. It's very hard to hit. Not a lot of damage, but the, don't even worry about that. The Beholder will barely make any bite attacks ever. I think this is only just in case uh, it needs to make an opportunity attack. If something gets in melee range and then moves out, 
um, and needs to make a opportunity attack, I guess it will just use the bite. Uh, but other than that, the bite is useless. Don't ever use it um, during its actual turn. Now, the coolest thing, uh, well, I don't know, actually, Anti-Magic Cone is pretty cool. Another cool thing, though, about Beholders is the eye rays. Like I mentioned before, it has these 10 eye stalks, and each of these shoots a different kind of ray. Now, when the Beholder wants to attack and shoot its eye rays, um, you, uh, as a DM, roll 3d10, and depending on the numbers you rolled, um, it will go, you know, go to a different kind of ray, and they can target these rays at any target within 120 feet of them. Um, and you can all, you also have to reroll all duplicates. So during your turn, all the three different, all the three rays will all be different, um, which not only makes combat fun because these are randomized, you don't know what you're going to get. The party has no idea what's coming for them. Um, and also balances th things out so you're not always just using the most powerful damaging rays and just obliterating the party. Um, but yeah, it, it just makes it really interesting and unpredictable and random, um, and it's just really cool in combat. So I'm not going to go over the details of every th single one of these rays, but I'm just going to go over a brief description of each one. Um, first is the Charm Ray. Um, so a creature that's hit by the Charm Ray has to succeed on a Wisdom saving throw or be charmed by the Beholder. Um, this is not super good in combat. Um, charming is not super powerful in combat uh, in D&D 5th edition. But outside of combat, obviously, the Beholder must use this all the time to be able to charm minions and, and such like that. Um, you know, charm people who come talk to whatever, whatever, you know, to, to get better deals and make bargains, whatever it is. Not super strong in combat. One of the one of the weaker rays, but still pretty cool. Next, we have the Paralyzing Ray. Uh, the target has to make a constitution saving throw or be paralyzed. Um, obviously, being paralyzed in D&D is horrible. Um, it's a very bad effect. Once you're paralyzed, it's very easy to hit you. Um, you can't do much while you're paralyzed. So this one is pretty powerful um, and can really change the tide of battle. Next, we have the Fear Ray. The ha target has to succeed on a wisdom saving throw or be frightened. If you don't really know um, or haven't really used Frightened a lot in, in your 5th edition stuff, it's very strong. It's very powerful. The Frightened condition is awesome. It's really cool. Um, has a lot of interesting effects. Um, so being able to to hit uh, a target with the fear ray is is uh, really awesome. Next is the slowing ray, which halves the the um, well the creatures make a deck safe if they dodge it. If they fail, then their their speed is halved. They can't take reactions, and they can only only choose between an action or a bonus action. This is also super strong, um, definitely for characters who you know utilize all of their movement and bonus action and action on each of their turns um, the slowing ray is really cool next is the enervation ray um, which the target has to seek a con save or just take necrotic damage um, just a basic you know damage dealing uh, ray after that is telekinetic ray um, they can use their telekinesis um, to lift things um, throw things um, and also if they're targeting a creature with this the creature has to succeed on a strength save or be thrown or picked up or whatever the beholder wants to do with it um, one of the coolest things you can do with the telekinesis um, is maybe the beholder has like a, a pit in their layer or something like that and they use their telekinesis to toss uh, an enemy down the pit whatever it is um, that's a really good use of the ray next is the sleep ray um, obviously this puts the target to sleep if, if, sleep if they fail their wisdom saving throw. Um, this is not super strong. I mean, it is pretty easy to wake up um, a, a sleeping character, but it can disable um, a, a character for maybe a round or so. Um, so it, it is, a, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty useful. Next is the Petrification Ray, probably one of the most deadly rays of all of them. Um, if the target fails their dexterity saving throw, they will start turning to stone. They're restrained. Then, if they keep failing their saving throws, they may become petrified. They may fully turn to stone, which is hard to dispel, hard to deal with. This one can be really scary for the party um, and really awesome for the DM. The ninth one is the disintegration ray. This is pretty obvious. Um, the beholder will have used this disintegration ray to probably carve out their layer, to carve out the tunnels and all that kind of stuff. But in battle, this can also be used to try to disintegrate the opponents. If they fail their dexterity saving throws, they may take tons of force damage. I mean, this disintegration ray does lots of damage. And if this damage reduces a creature to zero hit points, instead of knocking them unconscious, it literally disintegrates them into dust. This is a really scary, uh, really scary ability. And uh, it, it, can, it can be pretty, pretty deadly. Um, now, speaking of deadly, the 10th ray is the death ray. 
if the target fails their dexterity saving throw, um, they take necrotic damage. Now, if this reduces them to zero hit points, um, they die. Um, so this differs a little different from the disintegration ray uh, in a couple ways. First, the death ray actually does more damage than the disintegration ray. Um, however, if it reduces someone to zero hit points, which would normally knock them unconscious, it kills them outright. However, this is still a little better for the players if a character is just killed than for them to be straight up disintegrated, because most resurrection spells, such as revivify and such, require a body to still be there. And with the death ray, there is still a body left behind, um, which you can then perform the resurrection ritual on. With disintegration ray, it doesn't leave a body behind. It just turns them to dust, and it makes reviving them much more harder, requires a much more powerful spell, um, so that's kind of the difference between the two of those. These rays are super different, super varied, all have these really cool different, uh, you know, different capabilities that the Beholder will be able to use during combat, um, which is really interesting. And then also, after all that, at the bottom of the Beholder stat block, they have legendary actions, because um, Beholders are obviously legendary creatures, um, and they just have to take, they can take these three actions at the end of another creature's turn, and the one action they have access to them is just shoot a random eye ray. Um, which, you know, is pretty basic for the Beholder, but is still really cool because you still don't know what the IRA is going to be, you don't know what it's going to do, really cool stuff like that. Okay, um, that's kind of the stat block of the Beholder. Um, it's a little complex just because of all the different kinds of rays, and they all have different kinds of effects that require different kinds of saving throws and all that stuff, but as long as you have the stat block in front of you um, that you can keep referencing during during combat, it shouldn't be too complex or too, or too detailed. Okay, next I want to talk about the variants. Um, now, Beholders have a couple different variants uh, within Dungeons & Dragons, especially within 5th edition, different versions of a Beholder. Um, the first one I want to talk about is a Death Tyrant. A Death Tyrant is basically a Lich Beholder. Now, if you don't know what a Lich is, go ahead and check out my last Monster, Mon Monster Monday, oh, sorry, no, actually two Monster Mondays ago, um, which was on the Lich. That was a lot of fun to make, so if you're not sure what a Lich is, go ahead and check that out. Um, but basically, a Beholder who dreams of dying and then living in undeath may wake up and they realize they're a Death Tyrant, which is kind of just an undead version of a Beholder. Um, they have no flesh anymore, they're just this big floating skull, uh, instead of their eyeball, it's just replaced by this this red kind of beam, this red light. And instead of eye stalks with eyeballs, um, it's just these ten floating uh, red lights. Um, and that is what a Death Tyrant is. Um, now, in 5th edition, Death Tyrants are only a little stronger than regular Beholders. They're only one challenge rating up. Um, and really the only difference between them is a couple different, you know, differences in like armor class and stuff and you know, damage immunities and stuff like that, whatever it is. Um, but also, the Death Tyrant does not have an anti-magic cone. Instead, they have a negative energy cone. Um, basically, what this means is it's still like a 150-foot cone that they can point in, in a certain direction, and anything in this area can't regain hit points. Also, any humanoid that dies in this negative energy cone becomes a zombie under the Death Tyrant's control. Um, which is really cool. Now, I think that in some ways, this negative energy cone is actually less powerful than the anti-magic cone, because, you know, it still doesn't disable spellcasters and wizards and such, who, if you were DM and you've been playing for a, for a while now, you realize get really strong uh, as they progress in level, and, you know, magic users will probably probably be at a point where they are very strong by the time they're, they're facing a death tyrant. However, the ability to negate healing is actually pretty powerful, um, and something that I think is kind of um, um, underrated when it comes to D&D, because uh, adventuring parties are just very used to being able to just heal each other, all that kind of stuff. Um, definitely the spell Healing Word, just as a bonus action, being able to revive someone if they're knocked unconscious, back to consciousness, put them right back into the fight. It's a very strong spell. Well, the Death Tyrant can point its negative energy cone at a unconscious adventurer, and they can't just be picked up by a simple healing spell or even a healing potion. Um, and I think that is really, really cool. Um, it makes them a lot scarier. It makes them be able to hold down um, unconscious adventurers even more and makes um, the party figuring out their positioning and all that stuff even more important. And, of course, the ability to transform dead um, creatures into zombies under their control 
is just awesome. Definitely because they also have the th same rays of the Beholder, and one of those is the Death Ray, which, once again, if it drops a character's zero hit points, turns them, um, you know, kills them. Instead, with the Death Tyrant, if they're, that character is also the negative, negative energy cone, they kill them, and they instantly turn into a zombie, who then attack their friends. That's just super cool to me. Um, but I do believe that the negative energy cone is just a little less powerful than the anti-magic cone. Um, other than that, Death Tyrant is super similar in this when it comes to stat blocks and everything. Um, they're just a little more powerful, and they just they just have that one difference with the negative negative energy cone and the anti-magic cone. Now, one thing though, I just realized I forgot to mention about the anti-magic cone is that the Beholder can't actually shoot its eye rays at creatures within the anti-magic cone because the eye rays are magical effects. Um, the Beholder, if the Beholder's looking at someone, they can't actually target that that character with any of their rays. Um, which balances out the Beholder a little bit more, because it means if they're disabling the spellcasters, they can't also be obliterating the spellcasters. Um, and it makes playing a Beholder a lot more strategical in the DM's part. Um, and it just, just enhances combat, just makes it even more fun for everyone at the table. Um, if you didn't already realize that combat with a Beholder is super fun and exciting. Okay, the next variant of a Beholder is a creature called a Spectator. A Spectator is kind of like a lesser Beholder um, that only has four eye stalks. Now, this creature is summoned um, to act as a guardian, um, and it can sustain itself indefinitely. Um, it can create food and water at its own will that it can constantly consume. Um, so it's, it's it's a creature that can be summoned by, like, wizards or, or cultists or whatever it is if they ever need a creature to guard a location or guard a door or whatever it is because a creature can just sit there, sustain itself indefinitely, and then attack uh, any intruders. It's mostly just a weaker, less intelligent beholder. Um, it doesn't have an anti-magic cone. Um, its rays are weaker, don't do as much damage, aren't as harrowing. Um, but it does have the ability to actually deflect spells back at the caster, which I don't know where that comes from thematically or flavorfully. Um, I have no idea why it has that ability, but I don't care because it's just, it's really cool. And seeing the face of the party wizard when they try to cast fireball, but then it deflects back at them, that's just a really, that's a really fun time. Next is a death kiss. A death kiss is born when a beholder dreams of losing blood. Um, so if you had to notice, beholders dreaming of certain things can make certain things possible. If a beholder for some reason dreams of losing blood, perhaps maybe after a battle, um, and they were, you know, were brought close to death during that battle, and they were attacked a lot, bled a lot. That night, they may have a nightmare of losing blood. When they wake up, there's a death kiss. Um, a death kiss is pale, um, creepy-looking beholder. It has no mouth. Um, it just has the one one eye, this one red eye on this pale spherical body, and uh, its eye stalks, instead of ending in eyes, end in these kind of... Um, like like a leech almost um hook uh kind of things that like latch onto people with their fangs and then suck the blood out of them um yeah it's it's pretty crazy a death kiss is quite powerful it drains the blood of its enemies in combat pretty 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 creepy pretty flavorful um combatant but is not super intelligent or whatever it doesn't pose a huge threat um next is a goth uh not a goth as in g-o-t-h but a g-a-u-t-h um and this is another kind of lesser beholder and this is born out of when you're someone's trying to summon a spectator um and instead they summon a goth they did something wrong and the goth comes out instead now a goth has six eye stalks um uh as, as well as uh four regular tentacles it can use as arms so these tentacles don't actually end in eyes um they're just little tentacles that they can use kind of as arms to grab things or whatever um and its center eye is actually used to stun people instead of dispel magic. Goths, uh, they have to feed off of magic, so they will actively seek out magicians and magic items and stuff so that they can sustain themselves. They're pretty cool. It's kind of like if you want to throw your, your party up against kind of a, a lesser beholder before, you know, they're high enough level to actually do with a regular beholder, a goth can be a pretty cool um, encounter for them. The final variant of a beholder in 5th edition is a gazer. A gazer is a very small, like, like very small, um like like 10 center 10 centimeter diameter small um pet like beholder um it's born from a beholder's dreams and it follows its creator around like a pesky dog it's like a little little beholder pet that follows its beholder creator around like a little dog um it has four power, uh, eye stalks they shoot very simple rays 
not strong at all. Gazers are very weak. Um, they're just kind of cute little weird things that are kind of just cool, and they may be little minions for a beholder um, in an encounter, but they're not super strong or anything. Okay, so that's talking about the variants. Um, now I want to get into campaign integration. How can you work beholders, these awesome monsters, clearly things that I love, into your campaign? I've talked already a lot about this a little bit um, when I was talking about their, their lore and stuff, but I want to get a little more in-depth here. Now, once again, if you can't tell, I think Beholders are awesome. They are intelligent, evil, and powerful. So therefore, they work best as planned-out villains and antagonists. And I do not believe they should be used as monsters for throwaway random encounters. I know they're very enticing to new DMs because they look so weird and so cool and they have really cool abilities and DMs just want to throw them right into their game when they first see them. But trust me, you do not want to waste these things. They can be used for such good effect within your campaign, for a very cool story, um, to, to, you know, for a very cool adventure, for a fantastic combat encounter. Um, and so therefore you should they, you know, spend time on the Beholder. Make them a part of the story, make them matter, it will pay off so much more. Now, the party should have to spend multiple sessions dealing with this Beholder's plots and their schemes on the surface before finally delving into this deadly lair and eventually facing the Beholder themselves, right? Which, once again, I've talked about this dungeon delve, going through the lair and eventually facing the Beholder should be a harrowing task, should be difficult for the party. Because you as a DM, to make this most realistic and challenging and exciting for the players, put yourself into the Beholder's shoes. Imagine you believe... Everything is out there to kill you, and you ha you know you have all these really cool powers to build a layer for yourself and to build all these protective measures and have backup plans upon backup plans. And so actually do that. Um, make this layer really dangerous and make the Beholder fight really hard um, and challenging because realistically this Beholder will have planned out for all of this stuff to happen. It knows that things are going to come and try to kill it within its layer, so we'll have built a layer developed to make sure that never happens. Remember, Beholders are geniuses with backup plan after backup plan, and the party should always feel outplanned and outgunned when facing a Beholder. Um, now, Beholders always take the most strategic and smart move in combat, and they will barely ever make a rash decision based on emotions. They should be very difficult, challenging monsters to fight. But on the note about the emotions, um, I think sometimes its staggering fears and xenophobia can actually be used against it. And if the players and the, the party come up with a creative way to be able to use these fears and uh, this belief system of a beholder against it, reward them for it. Um, because I think that's also a really cool tactic. It's one of the beholder's only weaknesses is this, this crazy, intense paranoia and xenophobia. Now, Beholders, honestly, uh, they're pretty comical and funny, if you think about it. Um, they're these weird floating balls with, like, eye tentacles and stuff. And I think you as a DM can use this fact every now and again to lighten up um, basically the harrowing, terrifying situation the party is always in when facing a Beholder. Um, no, in all seriousness, it actually, I think, can be useful to use their exaggerated fears and self-preservation to create an entertaining villain, um, while, you know, making, you know, also using their intelligence and power to present an intimidating foe. Um, I think Beholders kind of are on the line of, like, um, Disney villains in, in, in some way. I mean, I can just, like, look at one, like, look at a Beholder and just imagine it within an animated Disney film singing its crazy, obnoxious villain song, um, because they honestly are weirdly cartoonish creatures, um, and I think you can use this fact to create a very entertaining villain, um, your villains should not just be doom and gloom all the time, I mean, depending on the campaign you want to play, but I think Beholders can just make for some really entertaining, interesting villains, um, um, but, you know, who are also intimidating and dangerous foes because of their intelligence and, and, and their powers, um, but, just hopefully understand what I'm stressing here. Beholders are fantastic creatures and great for villains. Um, so don't just use them in a throwaway encounter. Um, use them to their fullest effect. Use them um, for all their entertaining, interesting things that they can add to a campaign. Now, sadly, I, I don't see much use for the Beholder variants uh, that I talked about. As most are too weird or vague to be used in any obvious way. Um, like I mentioned before, maybe goths can be used to... Um, you know, presented to a party as a sort of minor villain at earlier levels when they're not strong enough to face real beholders. 
Maybe Death Tyrants can be used to create even that much scarier of a villain. You know, a beholder who is also undead and scary and has an army of zombies, I guess. It's a pretty cool twist on it. But honestly, I don't see most DMs using these variants much. Just first of all, the, the lore and information on them is just not a lot in 5th edition material or even just in regular Dungeons & Dragons lore. They're weird and kind of out of place as most aberrations and these alien-like creatures are. So sadly, I don't really see using the variants much in the campaign. If you can find a use for it, that's really cool. But I just think Beholders are best used when they're just in their base form. Beholders are just awesome as they are, and I think that is the best form um, that they are in, and that those can be used for you know to, to, to the fullest effect. I also think Beholders, uh, as I tyrants, work best, uh, work great in political intrigue-based campaigns, such as those set in cities, like I mentioned. The ones who can maybe act as third-party, uh, uh, you know, characters, role-playing counters, bargains, such you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, owning a criminal organization, kind of stuff like that within a within a city. Um, I think Beholders also work really great for that. Once again, not just because of you can make them entertaining and interesting and a little comical, um, but also because of just their nature and their intelligence and, uh, you know, just their really cool powers and just they look awesome. Um, so I think those are some uses for a Beholder in a campaign, and I think that's what they work best for in a campaign. Okay, guys, thank you so much uh, for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Sorry again for uploading it a day later than it was meant to. Um, and hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Hopefully you guys learned a lot from it. Definitely if you're a DM. Hopefully you got inspired to uh, put Beholders into your campaign or, or just got inspired by the, by the monster and, and its abilities. Maybe you can adapt some of them onto your own homebrew monsters. Um, just because I love Beholders, I hope they can make their way into every single campaign just because they're so awesome and interesting. Um, once again... If you want to keep up with D20 Academy with all the crazy stuff we're doing here, products and and, and, and live things and, and Q&As and all that kind of stuff, go follow the Instagram at D20 underscore Academy um, for all that information there. Um, but until I see you guys next week, have a great day.